What is going on? Welcome back to another episode of the Build A Better You podcast. I'm your host, Austin Chan. And in this week's episode, we have a Q&A. So I've picked 10 questions that I've basically found throughout my social media platforms, throughout the emails I get. And we're gonna just going to be kind of jiving in and like doing these in kind of a rapid fire style. Um, and then as always, you know, I'll go on some random tangents or some random rants if I feel like I need to on these specific questions. But yeah, and, and then if you do want to be featured in a future episode, be sure to reach out and, you know, shoot me an email or something and ask me any questions you do want me to cover on the, uh, my specific podcast episodes. Uh, but yeah, basically, I've just pulled this throughout like all of my social media platforms. And like I don't necessarily have kind of like an open Q&A where I will put up a uh, message sticker that like, hey, ask me these questions and you'll be featured on the next podcast episode. Um, and truth be told, I've done that and just people just don't like um send questions when you're prompted to it's kind of like the whole like you know when you're in uh, a classroom situation and then the teacher's like hey you, do you have any questions and then literally no one has questions and then like literally like after the class everyone's like oh i have a bunch of questions and then they they miss their chance to ask questions uh but yeah with that said like asking questions is a skill like people like oftentimes it, i think it's just because like people don't know what they don't know so it's like it's totally fine to just like not be or not have the skill or not have yet developed the skill to like ask good at least ask good questions um but yeah i i picked these these, i think all of these are really good questions so yeah with that being said and like maybe like some of these questions will kind of help you prompt um to ask more questions or like bring up any follow-up questions that you might have so yeah uh if after listening to this episode and you do have any follow-up questions be sure to shoot me an email or do please do reach out um anywhere on my social media platform sending me a dm or anything uh but yeah without further ado let's get into the episode so first question is what is the best time to wear yourself and this is by us i know i'm gonna butcher this name but uh uh sia hanulato okay so first question what is the best time to wear yourself so um first and foremost i'd say the best time to wear yourself is when you remember to weigh yourself and now most of my online coaching clients and like and I do say most because there is a rare rare exception where if if I can tell that someone has kind of a bad relationship with the scale, um, then we, we won't use the scale weight as measures of progress just because if someone has a very like hard and disordered attachment to the scale, then obviously we won't use that because if they were they if they are constantly going like celebrating that the scale went down this morning or they kind of set the rest of their rest of their day up like in in like a shitty mood just because the scale weight went up then that is something to be looking out for um then that's like either and, and especially with the scale it's something that i like to think about like really like it's all or nothing because um if you just weigh yourself once a week or if you just weigh yourself here and there it can really mess you up because as we've discussed in previous episodes of this podcast, the, the scale weight highly fluctuates. It fluctuates up and down every single day due to water manipulation and just a bunch of like other stuff that it's like pretty much either we have very little control of or stuff that we have really no control of at all. So it's either that we use the scale every single day or we don't use the scale at all and we use other forms of progress like progress pictures, measurements, that kind of stuff using other forms of data you know especially like how you feel how your clothes fit as like you make your fat loss progress so yeah with that being said i'd say the best time to weigh yourself is obviously if you're weighing yourself if you're weighing yourself every single day the best time to weigh yourself is obviously the time that you actually remember to do it because it doesn't matter if i'd say this is the best time to weigh yourself and then you forget and then you end up weighing yourself like maybe three times out of the week and then of course with less uh, scale weigh-ins you'll have less data points to plug in and to track and so yeah but the more frequently you can weigh yourself the better just because you can have all these data points and then also another thing like if you are someone with kind of a bad relationship with the scale weight then obviously getting yourself it's kind of like exposure therapy in a sense getting yourself used to these data points can help you kind of build that better relationship because the more you see these data points the more you see the scale weight spike up and maybe like as you and and then of course this is a skill that has to be developed this is like a mindset that takes work and takes time to kind of develop you you start to realize like hey the scale spiked up today because i had a lot more carbs than usual you know my like maybe a couple meals that i had like last week 
uh, were kind of low in carbs, so it caused the scale weight to, to, drop, to drop down a few pounds the next day. Whereas this week, you know, yesterday I might have had a lot more potatoes or a lot, had a lot more rice or something or had a pretty hard workout or had a lot more salt than usual. And then, then you start to kind of build this mindset that like, okay, tomorrow I'm expecting the scale weight to spike up. So this is totally normal. Doesn't mean I gained five pounds of fat. It just means that the scale weight spiked up and it's totally normal and I'm holding on a little bit uh, holding on to a little bit more water than usual. So yeah, despite you having kind of a um, not the best relationship with the scale, just by simply exposing yourself to this constantly, you'll start to kind of know and realize that, hey, all of these scale fluctuations are normal. It's not something that I need to attach my emotions to. It's literally just a number that shows up on a piece of glass or a piece of plastic. And yeah, I can yeah, I just use it as data. I step on it every single day and write it down and I go on with the rest of my day. My day is normal. I deal with other stuff that requires a lot more emotional and mental attention than this stupid piece of plastic with a number on it. So yeah, and then, but with that said, I do want to say that like, if you do remember to weigh yourself pretty often, I always say first thing in the morning is probably the best time. Like again, like I said, if you remember to do this every single day, if you have no problem kind of setting reminders for yourself, then the morning the morning of is usually the best time just because after a night of not eating after a night of fasting you pretty much have all, all the food in your systems digested you know all most of the water is is kind of depleted from your system just because you know overnight you're not you're probably not drinking any water unless of course you like wake up in the middle of the night and you just slam back like a gallon of water or something then obviously that throws off the numbers a little bit but yeah with that being said for most people like after a full night's of rest, when you wake up in the morning, after of course after you pee and poop, because that's just weight that's gonna leave your body anyway. So first thing in the morning after you pee and poop, weigh yourself, and that should be like your quote unquote like driest weight. So I'd say that that's kind of the weight that's like most like accurate to like the body mass that you're actually looking for. Like you know, like because most of the water is or not most, but like a lot of the water is. And a lot of the extra, uh, like other weight that doesn't really contribute, like towards your actual body composition, has left your body. So that's kind of be, gonna be like your quote unquote like most accurate weight, if you will. Because if you do it at the end of the day, after a full day of like eating, after a full day of drinking, after just a full day of stuff, you probably worked out as well. That co sometimes causes a little bit of inflammation and a little bit more water storage, and like all of this stuff just. Uh, adds up and then you you might have gained and that's why sometimes you might see at the if if you're someone who weighs yourself multiple times a day uh, which like there's really no point in doing that but if you are someone who has done that in the past you might have noticed that like in the beginning of the day and the, at the end of the day you might have gained a few pounds and that's because like I said all of this extra weight that you've gained through eating drinking water retention and just other extra like retent uh, other reasons for water retention so yeah that's my answer for what is the best time you weigh yourself. Next question, what multivitamin do you recommend? There's so many out there. How do you know which one works and which one doesn't? And this is from Jillian Harris 212. So it's a good question, Jillian. So um, obviously, I'm going to be transparent with this and say that I am sponsored by a supplement company called Legion. And... I'm going to recommend their multivitamin supplement. Now, of course, if you aren't someone, if you are someone who might not be able to afford that, um, it is kind of a little bit more pricey and compared to other supplements that I've seen on the market. But the, but it's clear that like if you were to look at the the label itself, if you were to look at Legion as a company, they their su supplements are literally top notch. Like if you look at their multivitamin supplement, it is freaking stacked. And um and also like they they prescribe it in a dosage that actually makes sense like even though it sounds like a lot and like the serving size itself is eight capsules and you take these capsules twice a day so you, ideally you'd split it up into four capsules you know with food twice a day um but it is freaking stacked and because of the dosages like it will help you like maximize like vitamin and um, multivitamin absorption because of that. And so I don't know any other um, multivitamin brand that actually does that and like actually tells you what you need to hear, not really what you want to hear. We all want to hear like, hey, just take this one fat pill a day and then we're all set. Uh, but when really like 
if we wanted to kind of like maximize vit multivitamin absorption, it should be done in multiple doses a day. And that's just a simple fact because if it's just a huge pill, like we always have to realize that when you like um, just eat food or when you like take these um, supplements and all that, like not every single thing gets absorbed. Like even with food, like obviously like food, like a lot of it gets absorbed. I'm not saying like when you eat calories, like some of it just like goes off into nowhere and just like, like, you know, screws off and like doesn't get absorbed in your body. But even then, like calorie absorption, supplemental absorption, all these things like get about like 80 to 90%. And I, and I don't know the exact number on this, but it's like a majority of it obviously gets absorbed and like digested through. But there's still like a small amount that like makes its way into your poop and that's why you have poop because sometimes a lot of the stuff doesn't or not a lot but sometimes a little bit of the stuff that you eat doesn't make it all the way through your, your, your digestive tract just because that's just the way it is like your body isn't perfect at absorbing every single thing that you consume into your body so by separating these doses you kind of like uh, reduce that error rate and so by separating into small smaller portions um that's why like it's recommended that you split up your protein intake. I mean, like the satiation effects aside, like and having like regular meals a day, it you also enhance protein absorption when you have um, protein feedings like set in separate servings. So that's why I you recommend a lot of people recommend that as well. Um, also to maximize muscle protein synthesis, obviously. But yeah, um, but that's the multivitamin brand I recommend. Um, and if anything, like I think people often put way too much um what's the word i'm looking for here people often put way too much i think onus is the right word they put way too much onus onto the companies that they look into to be doing right by the people and obviously this is a very important thing like we should always hold companies and hold these people who want to want our business we should be holding these people to a higher standard but the other fact also remains that we also have to constantly educate ourselves. We also have to be that informed consumer if we want to like get the best products or get the best services available to us because it's our responsibility because ultimately we're the ones kind of shilling over our hard-earned money to these people for a specific product or service. So we should be thoroughly auditing the things that we like want to like spend our hard-earned money for. And if it turns out to be a scam, it's like, yeah, the, the company might have been like misleading you or like, but also we have to be the ones to educate ourselves and to kind of sharpen our bullshit detector so that we end up making informed con informed consumer decisions and we also spend our money in the right places and into the things that actually pay off and like, you know, give us the stuff that we actually are looking for and we actually want. Um, so first and foremost, I'd say like educate yourself. Like, what does a good multivitamin entail? You know, obviously, going into, I, I recommend examine.com for a lot of my, like, supplement research, uh, supplementation research. That's, like, basically what I use to look at a lot of the ingredients and, like, you know, how much efficacy does this specific ingredient has? Um, what are these specific doses, dosages I should be looking for when I'm shopping for supplements? So, again, that is examine.com. Obviously, I'm not affiliated with them, but it, they have been, they, I've seen them grown over the years, and it, it, it's an incredible database for um, supplementation research and just learning more about supplementation itself and what specific ingredients you should be looking for, what you, you should be not be looking for in terms of like bullshit ingredients. And also, like, you know, are these ingredients actually effective and um, what doses you should be looking for? Because some supplement companies are pretty shady out there. And like I said, it's up, it's the other half is like up to you to educate yourself, but some. Supplement companies are shady in the fact that they put they'll they'll under they'll purposely underdose effective ingredients so that they can say they have these ingredients in the the product itself, but in, in reality they like underdose it. So when you take that supplement, you're not even getting the benefits of that actual effective ingredients, and they'll probably fill it with some other like you know bullshit f fillers that um that really don't don't do much, and then they're just doing it to kind of like fill it, and then you. They can they can say like, hey, we have this clinically effective ingredient, but it's not near anywhere the effective doses. So you're not getting the benefits and they're getting all your money. So yeah, uh, but yeah, with that being said, I do recommend Legion and you can even do your research yourself. And you, if you go to every single supplement on their website, you scroll down, it will show you all the effective uh, ingredients that they are using in their products. It will even have the scientific research to back it up. 
and they they actually put it in the effective doses and then they yeah like i said they have all of the research that backs it up um saying like hey here's the ingredients that we're using here are the effective doses and then here's exactly how much we're putting in each of these ingredients and i believe i have an article on this as well like you know the best like fitness and health supplements a pretty comprehensive article um so go ahead and go to the show notes hit the i think there's a blog link and then that'll take you directly to my blog and you can read more about it but uh, yeah, I won't go too much into how to spot like bullshit supplements because uh, that covers that pretty extensively. So yeah, that about answers that question about multivitamins. Uh, next question, I have PCOS and I've heard it's really hard to lose weight when you have PCOS. Any advice? And this was by Dodsey. All right, so first off, great question, Dodsey. So for people who aren't familiar with PCOS, PCOS is basically... Uh, stands for polycystic ovary syndrome and it is and I'm literally on Google right now it is a hormonal disorder common among women of reproductive age and so um, basically some of the side effects that are associated with PCOS people uh, or women have infrequent or prolonged menstrual periods with excess male hormones or otherwise known as androgen levels and the ovaries may develop numerous small collections of fluid follicles and fail to regularly release eggs so basically um i like and first off i'm not a huge expert on this so this is just kind of my experience um dealing with this in probably not even a handful of clients just like a couple of clients that i've worked that have have had pcos and and like i said my experience is very limited so take what i say with a grain of salt i am definitely not an expert you should definitely look for other experts on this i believe there was a podcast done by um Spencer Nodolsky, and I don't remember who was the host, but they talked about all things PCOS, and that was a very comprehensive um, podcast. So I will say, like, what I pretty much absorbed from that podcast and kind of my own personal experiences, like, working with other people who have had PCOS. So for the most part, it sounds like PCOS is kind of a hormonal uh, dysfunction within the body, which, which, again, it causes, like, a lot of, like, you know, energy imbalance so it causes metabolism problems it causes you know problems with cravings it problem causes problems with appetite so again i don't want people to think like just because it's a hormonal disorder and because of the like some stupid charlatans that you'll see all over the internet they'll say like oh it's all about hormones it's not about calories it's not about energy balance when in fact it is for every single person on this planet it is about calories in calories out or i shouldn't say every single person i mean there is this um a small percentage of the population with a very specific disease that doesn't work for but for 99.99% of people calories in calories out is going to work now with that being said it's not that simple on the surface uh for a lot of people like we we obviously know that calories in is manipulated or it's affected by how many calories you consume or how many calories you eat but for the calories out part of the equation it can be affected by you know or sorry, the, the calories in is is how much food you eat, but that also could be affected by the amount of appetites you have or the amount of cravings you have. And so you might be getting a lot more calories in than you realize, or you just simply find yourself that like, I just keep having so many calories in and I find myself like having harder control or having like um, not as much um, influence over my calories in just because I'm having all of these things that um, seem a lot harder to control. Um, and the calories out part of the equation obviously is your metabolism. You know, how much activity are you able to get in on a daily basis? You know, your how your body metabolizes the food that you're eating. And also just simply a lot of like like other factors that affect your, your metabolism overall. But basically it's your metabolism calories out is your metabolism as a whole and obviously when we kind of zoom in there are a lot of like of, of these like little factors that do affect your calories out um but with that said one thing i really like about this question and i'll say it again is that they said i have pcos and i heard it's i've heard it's really hard to lose weight and this is a point i really do want to get into and it's that knowing that these hormonal problems whether it's pcos whether it's like menopause whether it's um you know whatever other hormonal uh dysfunction or like you know um not really like just like normal baseline levels that we all like or most people that are born like 
have pretty much. Um, and so when you have these kind of like away from baseline levels of hormonal function, and it's know that it's really it's going to be harder for you to lose weight, but know that it's not impossible. And so that's the point I really want to dive in on because a calorie deficit works for most people. And I will say most people, again, with that a caveat that um, there's a very small exception of people that it doesn't work for. Um, I can't remember the exact disease itself, but if you're listening to this, you probably don't have that disease and you are going to be able to lose weight on a calorie deficit. So with that being said, it is much harder for you just because, you know, you might have uncontrollable cravings, you might have uncontrollable appetite issues, but it can all be worked around. You can always still put your best effort forward and you can always put your best foot forward to make it easier, easier. But of course, it's go you're going to be you're going to face a tougher challenge than, you know, someone with probably a normal hormonal profile. So just know that it's, yes, it is hard because you have all these issues facing you, but it's not impossible. You just have to find the way for you. And again, the process is going to be much harder. You're probably going to have to do a lot more guesswork. You're probably going to have to do a lot more um, work on your part to find out how you can best adhere to an actual calorie deficit and or even an actual calorie deficit amount that works for you and your body. But know that if you are willing to put in the work, if you're willing to put in the time, if you are like willing to do the hard stuff, and again, if this is hard for every single person, but of obviously like, you know, it's harder for some people and it's easier for some people, but you know, it's hard overall for every single person, but you just kind of need to find that specific component or that specific process that is going to work for you to deal with this. So yeah, know that it's going to be hard, know that it's going to be harder, for you versus other people with a normal hormonal profile, but know that it is not impossible. And again, you just have to do the hard stuff and you just got to stick to it. And I promise you, you will get the results you want. Um, yeah, so that about answers that question. And then next question, does it make a difference that I don't use weights because I work out at home? And this is by Apple user 6774355853. Um, okay, good question, Apple user. So the... Does it make a difference that you don't use weights when you work out at home, say with body weight or say with bands? Um, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna answer this like in the kind of the simplest way possible, and then we'll get more nuanced and complex as the question goes on. So first off, it does not make a difference whether you use weights or whether you work out at home using body weight or bands or whatever some sort of resistance that doesn't use weights. Now. And, and the main reason for this is because your body does not know the difference between whether you're using dumbbells, whether you're using bands or cables or whatever have you. Your body just knows it has to, your or at least your muscles know that it has to create tension or it has to produce force against some sort of external resistance that you're putting your body through. Whether that's through weights, whether that's through bands, whether that's through your own body weight. Your muscles just know, I have to contract and have to produce this much amount of force in order to you know, lift whatever this thing is. And then eventually through progressive overflow, through generating mechanical tension, you know, when your workouts get tough enough or when your workouts feel tough enough, then your body is going to create the adaptations necessary and it's going to build more strength and muscle. So at its very core, no, it doesn't make a difference, but I will say that it does make a difference eventually just because when you progress like enough and and everyone's going to find this at a certain point. Your body weight is just not going to be enough for you. And also for another thing, for whatever it's worth, you're bo just doing body weight exercises or doing band exercises at home. It gets freaking boring. So eventually, like you're just going to have to have more equipment just for more variety. And also back to the progressive overload thing, like eventually your body weight is just not going to feel that tough. And you're going to have to get really creative with body weight exercises if you want to keep doing that. Um, and again, like there's only so many like, effective body weight exercises that you can do or effective band exercises that you can do eventually you're just going to need access to weights you're going to need access to more equipment uh, like machines and cables and all that so does it make a difference no but eventually it will make a difference because you, if you want to keep progressing if you're gonna if you want to keep making progress if you want to keep if you want to keep making changes to your body then you're going to eventually need access to weights to keep lifting heavier weights because like i said eventually your body weight is going to get easy easier or easy enough for you that like 
you just can't keep making progress on that. But like, if you're fine with making all the progress that you ever want with body weight with band exercises, and you just want to maintain, you can keep doing those workouts, you can keep doing those those exercises. But eventually, like, like I said, if you do want to keep making progress, and if you do want to keep building more strength and muscle, um, on top of your current physique, then you're gonna need access to weights eventually. But again, if you're just starting out, like obviously, um, most people just starting out, they're not gonna be that strong. So like your body weight is probably enough for you. Like if you can't, if you can barely do like five push-ups, and obviously like you're not that strong. So eventually, like you can build a significant amount of muscle and strength just doing body weight when you're first starting out. But like I said, as you gain more experience, as you gain more strength, as you gain more muscle under your belt, then you're gonna eventually need access to weights to increasingly progress this challenge. All right. Uh, next question: Are deadlifts a back or a leg exercise? By I underscore underscore can't I can't underscore remember. So, um, deadlifts. I'm gonna like, and this is I don't even know why this is still a question, but um, deadlifts are 100% a leg ex exercise, and let me explain why. So when we talk about what an exercise trains or what specific body part or what specific uh, muscle that an exercise trains, we always want to look at what is actually generating the most amount of force or what is generating the most amount of tension in that exercise itself. What muscle is like, you know, the prime, and this is like something called, um, in anatomical terms, it is called the prime mover. So when we think about you know, exercises, let's say like a bench press or let's say like a shoulder press, like obviously this works many muscles or it works multiple muscle groups at the same time. It works, you know, your anterior delts, it works your triceps, um, works a little bit of your upper chest as well when it has to stabilize. But we don't say that like, oh, the shoulder press, we use it to train the upper chest or we use it to train the triceps. We call it a triceps exercise. Like if someone asks, like, I, I want to build up my triceps and I want to you know, increase the the strength and the the size of my triceps. You say, okay, let's program some bench press or let's program some shoulder press. Like obviously, like like as you get stronger on the bench press and as as you get stronger on the shoulder press, obviously your triceps are going to be strengthened to a to some degree, and obviously they are going to get worked because they are moving and they are being used during the movement. But it is not the prime mover. It is not the muscle that's doing the most work in that specific movement. So we can't necessarily call that a triceps exercise. Um, just like on the other hand, when people are like, oh, you know, do chin-ups or do pull-ups for, for your biceps. Like obviously it is working to some degree, but like we can't say that it is a specific biceps exercise. Now, obviously, like I said, is it going to get stronger? Is it going to get a little bit of tension from doing these movements? But yes, but obviously the most of the work is going to be done by the upper back um, for, for that specific movement because that's the thing that's like generating most the most amount of leverage, that's the thing that's generating the most amount of force. So we don't say like, I'm gonna program this for specifically for biceps. Like if we want, and, and this is even shown in the research as well, like I don't have a specific study off the top of my head, but like um, isolation exercises completely beat the brakes off of compound exercises for specific smaller muscle groups. Um, and yeah, that, that's just a simple fact, like because that movement isn't generating enough tension to that muscle, then it's not going to grow to a significant degree. It's just going to grow the prime moving muscle. So with that said, if we look at, if we were to look at and break down a deadlift, what do the upper back muscles do in terms of like, when we talk about your back exercises, they primarily, they bring the elbow behind the body or they bring the elbow to, you know, to your sides or whatever. They, they pretty much just like do this roaring or pull down motion that we see. And we can see that deadlifts don't really do that sort of rowing and pulling motion. Like obviously your back is still active to a significant degree and actually has to stabilize against the load. And like if it's your first few times deadlifting, you're obviously going to feel it a lot in your back just because your back is working to some degree. I'm not saying that it doesn't work your back at all. It is still, it still has to contract and stabilize the weight, but the main deadlift motion is going to be that hip extension there. So it's pretty much a lot of the, the, um, the work is going to be generated by your, your hips and you know, your, your glutes, your hamstrings, and pretty much all of that musculature, your posterior chain, or at least your lower posterior chain. And that's why like you can deadlift so much more than you can say barbell row in a sense. So like, 
that that's also another thing like if you can lift more weights with your with your deadlift that means it's going to be a, a primarily more of a leg exercise than a back exercise just because your legs are a much bigger and stronger muscle group than your back um so it is 100 percent a leg exercise um not really a back exercise like i would honestly like nine times out of ten i would program deadlifts on leg days rather than back days um but yeah that's with that being said like there's nothing wrong with programming them on back days it's just that I will associate them with a leg exercise, not a back exercise, specifically for that reason, because the legs are the prime mover in this scenario, not the back muscles. Yeah, so, yeah, like I said, I don't even know why that's such a controversial thing. Like, I don't even know why this is something up for debate. Um, it literally, like, in anatomical terms, it is the, the deadlifts are a leg exercise. All right, cool. Next question, how to target your inner thighs, and this is by point. Oh, one. Um, so your inner thighs is going to be comprised of these group of muscles called your adductors, and that's A-D-D-U-C-T-O-R-S. Adductors, not to be confused with abductors or abductors. So your adductors, your inner thighs, um, a lot of the motion and, and like first off, like, yes, the adductor machine is good. It's kind of the, the any machine or, um, if you were in the kind of the in the fitness industry or in, in the lifting space uh, about a decade ago, these are called I believe these were called good girls. <laughs> um, yeah, not so politically correct in today's climate, but yeah, good girls uh, because you know that you're closing your legs, and then the other one is called bad girls because you're opening your legs. Uh, but yeah, with that being aside, like I'm not like endorsing that by any means, so don't go clipping this podcast and like putting it all over the internet and being like, hey, Austin's. Austin is just like being offensive and we're going to cancel him. So, uh, yeah, I'm just saying my experience like in the, uh, in the decade or so that I've been kind of in the lifting space or fitness community. So yeah. Um, so yeah, otherwise known as like good girls where you're closing your legs. So if you want like a more visual representation, if you don't know what I'm talking about, yeah, that's, that's the machine we're talking about. Um, so First off, yes, that's that's a good choice for targeting the adductors. But um, in more recent times, and the more I learned about like muscle anatomy, muscle physiology, and all that, um, the adductor machine does target. So we have to realize that the adductors are a huge group of muscles. It comprises of, off the top of my head, I believe it's like the gracilis, the pectineus, and like there's the also the other muscles like the adductor magnus, the adductor longus, and the adductor brevis or something. I think. Um, but yeah, it's this huge group of muscles, and it's not just like one single muscle. Like the inner thigh isn't a muscle itself. The inner thighs is an area. The adductors aren't even a single muscle. The adductors are a group of muscle. And again, like I said, I'm not going to list that name again. Uh, but it's it a it's a group of like five, six, or even just several uh, muscles. And yes, the adductor machine does target one of the adductor muscles. And again, it, the the prime mover, like I said. This is the muscle that's going to work the most, and if we look at it, I think it was the, I think it was with pectineus, but it's that muscle, and it honestly, if you compare it to the size of the other muscles, it isn't really big. So, like in terms of like the bang for your buck, in a sense, if you want to pick exercises that targets the biggest amount of your adductors, so that you're getting the most bang for your buck, you don't have to spend a bunch of um, time in the gym um, doing a bunch of different exercises you want to like get the most amount of inner thighs or adductors for your time spent in the gym and you're going to you're going to want to do these like uh, bigger adductor like the bigger adductor muscles focused exercises and and one one more thing I, w- I want to add before we just dive into the exercises is that a lot of people like think that the adductors their main function is just to like bring your just to adduct your thigh or to bring your thighs closer together but um people don't realize the adductors are a huge muscle that also functions in hip extension so also like driving your legs back and that's why we see the the and you'll actually kind of see me allude to this that that's why these muscles are highly active in things like the squat the leg press and all these other like lunges all these other like um leg movements so the adductors also function as a like hip extensor and this is also why and i don't want to really want to like get way too much into this but um this is why when people like have weak glutes or like they're lifting for the first time and they're squatting this is why a lot of people their knees will cave in because when they have weak glutes and like a lot of people like just simply don't train their glutes to a huge extent 
And so when you have weak glutes and you're coming up in a squat or you're coming up in a leg press or you're coming up in a lunge, this is why people's knees will tend to kind of cave inward. And that's because like when you have weak glutes, like obviously your body's not strong enough, so it will find whatever compensatory mechanism it can in order to complete the movement that you're trying to do. So when you have weak glutes and you're not able to get it to do the primary hip extension function that you're after, your body's going to be like, well, we don't want to just fall on our ass. So we are going to do whatever we can to bring that, to bring yourself up into that hip extension movement. So it's going to recruit the adductors, which again, it, they also have a secondary function of, as and you can even see it in the movement, of pulling your knee inwards. So this is why your knees will cave inwards, especially if you're weak, if you, especially if you're someone who just has, ha, yeah, has weak glutes, then your body's going to co compensate by recruiting more adductors. And again, this is not necessarily a bad thing, even though every time we see it, we might want to cringe. But it's just realizing that this is a compensatory um, movement pattern. It's not something that we want to encourage, but it's also something that if it happens, it's totally okay. And it's just about knowing the why, why is this happening and like how can we kind of better um work around this or even try to fix this if that's not the movement that you're after um so yeah that's kind of a little bit of background into why like people's knees cave in so yeah what was the question again oh yeah targeting inner thighs okay now uh after we have said all that let's talk about how to actually um target your inner thighs uh yeah so uh one of my favorite exercises is probably going to be the adductor focused leg press so on the leg press if you have the platform as you know, if you put your foot in different positions, you can target different muscles. So for adductors, we want wide. And yeah, a lot of people think that wide stance is more glutes, but really it's more adductors, like I said. And again, that's because of the different leverages of muscles. But we want a high high and wide stance on the platform. So like relative to like up and down, we want it like pretty high up on the platform. We also want it wide. And then we also want to point our toes out out to leverage the adductors and yeah and then um that's also yeah that's one of my favorite exercises just because the leg press has a lot of stability to it and you can just like strap on a ton of weight and just like go at it and like generate a lot of tension for the leg muscles that you're after um, another one is going to be adductor adductor focused walking lunges now of course um Walking lunges are a great hip extension movement and just because you have to focus on really driving like forward so that that's going to really nail the hip extension portion of it. And then with that being said, if you want to target more of the adductors, if you're just going, if you're just exploding straight forward, that's going to be more glutes because glutes is, uh, pre pretty much works in that plane of movement. But if you want more adductors, you're going to take kind of an outward stance. So you kind of want to think about like stepping slightly outward and then still driving forward. You still want that hip extension hip extension portion of the movement. Um, and yeah, just like having a slight step outward. And then also something lateral lunges. So instead of lunging forward, you're going to lunge to the side. And again, and again, because we want to really maximize the hip extension portion of this movement, that means going into the lunge, we want to maximize hip flexion or the amount of hip bend. So we really want to sit back in your butt as we're doing these lateral lunges. And then, yeah, and then springing back towards the midline. And, and again, this is going to require a little bit uh, less or not. It's Yeah, you're going to have to produce a little bit more stability just because you're um, moving in that plane of motion. Um, but yeah, lateral lunges are, are really good um, for working in that different kind of plane of movement. Um, and then another one off the, oh yeah. And then of course, another staple is like the balance squat. If you just do a typical normal squat, that's going to work a lot of adductors and without like too much knee, knee forward movement or without too much like sitting back. Um, cause those are going to be like quads and glutes respectively, but yeah, with just a standard typical squat, that's going to work a lot of adductors. So yeah, that's also a really good staple, but yeah, that's, that about covers the best exercises to target your inner thighs or your adductors. All right, next question. How long does it take to see fat loss results? And this is by user 9 trillion, blah, blah, blah. It's, it's probably some like burner account or some random person who didn't who decided to not have a profile picture or username. Um, so yeah, how long does it take to see fat loss results? So obviously, first and foremost, this is going to depend on your starting point, you know, how much fat you have to lose. Um, and also how aggressive are you capable or willing to be on your diet? So 
Yeah, but as a general rule of thumb, I usually will say anywhere between six to 12 months in order to see a significant amount of progress. Like if you want to look back and be like, wow, I see a huge difference on my body, then definitely six to 12 months is kind of a realistic time frame to be looking at for those results. But again, like I said, it's going to depend on you know, your starting point, like obviously if you are someone who has like 40, 50 or even more pounds to lose of fat, then obviously it's going to take longer than someone who has say 20 pounds of fat, an extra 20 pounds of fat on their frame to lose. Um, so yeah, it's really going to depend. But for the most part, I will say a realistic rate of progress is going to be one to two pounds of fat loss per week. And again, this is going to depend on your starting point and all that. But um, if you want to get even more like minute about the, about the numbers, it's going to be anywhere between 0.5 to 1% of your current body weight per week. Then for most people, that usually works because 1% is about 1% of 100 is going to be 1, 1% of 200 is going to be 2. So for most people, most people are in that 100 to 200 pound range. So 1 to 2, that actually works out to 1 to 2 pounds. So yeah. One to two pounds a week, and with that, that means like you could realistically, realistically expect to lose anywhere between fifty to hundred pounds per year. And again, the more weight you have to lose, obviously, you can be a little bit faster about that, just because you have more body fat to lose. Your body is like more primed to lose more fat. But if you're leaner, then obviously your body can't lose as much without like losing muscle, without like it taking a mental toll on your on you. Um, so yeah, it's gonna depend. But I would. I will say that like giving yourself a realistic time frame and also it gives you like more realistic expectations to be like I'm not going to expect to lose a shit ton of weight in like a short amount of time. Giving yourself 6 to 12 months gives yourself a lot of time to actually learn the habits, learn the skills and do like the things that actually and learn everything that it actually takes to you know not only lose the weight but also to maintain that weight. Um so yeah, generally 6 to 12 months to see significant significant amounts of progress um but definitely not six to 12 months to like get to your actual goal because all of our goals are different like you might be like if you're someone on the leaner side you might be able to get there in a short amount of time but generally six to 12 months is kind of like a a good cruise control mode where you can kind of factor in life and where you can like you know actually build sustainable habits and all that so yeah um let's see Next question, how to tone the back of your legs by XX underscore Natalie uh, underscore triple X. So um, let's see, back of the legs. So we talked about inner thighs earlier. Now we're going to talk about the back of your legs. So the back of your legs is otherwise known as your hamstrings muscles. So uh, the hamstrings primary function is it also actually helps out in hip extension, but it's also going to depend on... Um, how much knee bend that you get so it's not just a simple fact of hip extension but it's also that it's going to depend on how you set up your body to uh, best target the hamstrings but basically the hamstrings have two functions it's going to be one is hip extension the other one is going to be knee flexion or any time you like kind of like do a leg curl that's basically it and you can probably tell by um the name the name i just said that leg curls are going to target hamstrings so um basically these two type of movements and you're going to be set for hamstrings any sort of knee flexion movement or leg curling motion and then any sort of hip extension motion but also this is the caveat that like you can't just expect to do like you know um hip thrust and expect to hit your hamstrings a lot it's also going to depend on how much angle you get with your knee um because the more knee bend you get if you can imagine it's actually shortening your hamstrings or it's shortening the muscle length of your hamstrings a little bit so your hamstrings aren't going to be able to produce more force so the glutes are going to take over um so so when we want to target our hamstrings then you want to um decrease i'm thinking i don't want to confuse my words with the 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 right words here so you want to decrease the the angle no you want to increase the angle yeah you want to increase the angle of your knees so you pretty much want like almost a straight knee like you don't want to lock out your knees but you also but you really want a near straight knee so, you know, stiff-legged deadlifts are going to be um, very good for targeting the hamstrings. And, yeah, they really put the hamstrings in a nice stretch, stretched position. So, yeah, that's basically it. So, stiff-legged deadlifts and then any sort of knee flexion movement. So, you can either do seated leg curls or lying leg curls. I personally have a preference 
for seeing the leg curls just because you're a lot more strapped in you get a lot more stability and again like i've said in previous episodes more stability means more force being able to be generated by your body and then more force being generated by your body which means more mechanical tension so more muscle growth um so yeah that's about it and then oh yeah also another like i mean disclaimer or you know a little caveat about toning is that you need to have proper diet and exercise if you have a lot of excess body fat then of course you are going to need to get your diet in check you're going to need to get into a calorie deficit and lose the fat on your body Uh, but if you're someone who's like say skinny fat or if you're someone who is relatively thin you have a little bit of muscle definition but you wouldn't say that you have a lot of body fat then to achieve tone then you definitely want to be focusing more on building muscle and then that's going to help you infinitely better than just simply losing fat because if you don't have much fat to lose then losing more fat isn't going to help improve your situation you want to focus on building muscle and that means eating at least at maintenance calories or even a little bit more than that to get into a slight surplus and then focusing on a lot of protein and or adequate protein you don't need a ton of protein you don't need like 200 300 grams but just focusing on the standard 0.7 to 1 gram of protein per pound of body weight. Um, but yeah, that's how to tone the back of your legs, um, targeting the hamstrings, knee flexion movement, and then some sort of hip extension movements. All right, next question. How to progress progressive overload on lateral raises? And this was by C4RRI3Berry. Uh, I think that's Carrie Berry with four and the three as A and E. Um, but yeah, um, how to progressive overload on lateral raises? So this is actually a great question. So first off, why is it so hard to progressive overload on lateral raises? Um, you might find that, hey, I can just add like pounds and pounds on top of my deadlift, on top of my leg press, on top of my squats, on top of my bench press, shoulder press, um, you know, pulling movements and all that. But yet lateral raises, it's like, you know, you go up to, you go up from the, say the, like the 10 pound to the 15 pound dumbbell. And all of a sudden it feels like a, from a six out of 10 to like a 12 out of 10. It's like, why is that the case? So this, know that first off, know that this is perfectly normal. You just, you don't have abnormally weak shoulders or whatever have you. It's just that this movement itself is in nature hard to progressively overload because one, the medial delts or the side delts, the the, the muscles that you're trying to target with this movement are inherently small muscles compared to say your chest, your back, your legs. These are all much bigger muscles and bigger muscles are going to be stronger muscles. So obviously they're going to be able to lift a lot more weight and they're obviously going to be able to progress at much faster rates. Um, So yeah, first off, that's totally normal because it's smaller muscle. Secondly, this is also known as a single joint movement. So as if you are doing a lateral raise properly, at least you're only going to be moving uh, a single joint. You're only going to be moving your arm to the side versus if you are doing say a squat, you're getting a lot of knee movement. You're getting a lot of hip movement. And then you might be getting a little bit of lower back movement as well. Um, but with that being said, it's a compound exercises. And compound exercises are basically multi-joint movements that use multiple muscle groups at the same time. And like I said, if you're using multiple multiple muscle groups at the same time, then you're going to be able to lift more weight because you're involving more muscles. And so more muscle recruitment, which means more weight is able to be lifted uh, in that particular movement. But with lateral raises, because you're not recruiting all of these extra muscle groups, then you're going to be able to lift less weight because you're only isolating and targeting that one particular muscle group at that time. So first off, yeah, know that's perfectly normal to be to not be able to progress overload super fast on lateral raises because of those two reasons. Now, how how to actually progressive overload? So, um, because it's super hard to be just be focusing on like I'm going to keep upping weight. One thing that I really do like to do with lateral raises is just by increasing reps. So specifically for lateral raises, this is why I like using higher rep ranges because you can just keep progressing it on like by adding reps. And then if you go higher reps, then like every time that you do, like when you when it is time to increase weight, you can still do a good amount of reps. So let's say like you work up to a your working sets of like 15 or 12, 15, even sometimes 20, then let's say you work up to like let's say 10 pounds on the lateral raise for 20 reps when you do increase to the 15 even though you might drop a lot it you still might be able to get at least 10 or 12 reps as a result of that increase whereas if you worked in a lower rep range like let's say like six to eight or something like let's say you get to eight 
reps on you can go pretty and you go pretty heavy on this let's say you get to eight reps on like the 25 pound dumbbell and then you're like okay i get to i got to my end of the rep range with eight reps i go up to the 30 and then that 30 makes you drop like you only get like two or three reps so that the the percentage like of the decrease of reps is going to be much higher because you're jumping um much heavier in that sense whereas if you use lighter weights and you focus on higher reps even though you might lose a lot of reps in that sense um you can still you're still doing a high amount of reps so basically this all breaks down to like percentages and all that like so when you're going up weight like the percentage itself you're still going to be dropping a lot but in terms of how many reps you're actually able to get you're going to be able to get a lot more reps even though like because the weight is lighter versus the weight is heavier then you're not going to be able to get as much reps because the weight is much much heavier um so yeah hope that makes sense so that's one way i like to do it you know using uh, a much higher rep range so for lateral raises i will usually program anywhere from 12 to 20 even sometimes more than 20 if i really want to get uh make it feel like hell <laughs> but uh yeah generally 12 to 20 you'll feel the burn you'll like you'll get a lot of that movement and you'll still be able to get a really good muscle building stimulus um also another thing that I've seen from Paul Carter specifically is using ankle weights. So using ankle weights and then strapping that onto your wrist because ankle weights are usually one, two, or even three. And like usually they're less than five pounds uh, like per ankle weight. So really be a, really being able to um, just put on to progressive overload just those few pounds at a time rather than like jumping five or even sometimes 10 pounds at a time depending on how much like dumbbell access you get to. Then you can progressively overload in these small pound increments and you can still kind of match reps you can still progressively overload um so yeah and then one more thing that i do like to incorporate in just is just like changing around the tempo or and if you aren't familiar with this term tempo is basically how fast are you lifting weight so by intentionally slowing down the tempo or or intentionally um incorporating more pauses into your lateral raises you're going to get a little bit more tension you're going to make the exercise harder without actually having to like manipulate the weights at all so manipulating the tempo you actually make the exercise harder because you you actually have to um exhibit more like control and tension and um basically like you're slowing down the movement so that your muscles actually have to work harder against the movement and you're basically making it harder like i said so you're still getting that same stimulus you're still getting stronger through that lateral raise movement but you actually don't need to like change up the weights at all just because you're like manipulating like all this stuff and you're actually progressively overloading you're actually like getting your body stronger um without manipulating the weights at all and so eventually just by doing this long enough you are going to be able to progress and eventually move on to the weights um so yeah that's also another method that i like all right and then last final question how to know how much calories I need to eat in a day. And this is by ACNJDEDCG. I don't even know if this is a real name um, or if this is a burner account, like I said again. But um, yeah, how to know how much calories I need to eat in a day. And so, man, I could really go off on this. But um, basically said, I, I do have a free cal calorie calculator that I use through a hosted website that I can leave in the show notes below. So Go ahead and check that out if you want to but i will also go in with the caveat that like a lot of people when they go into this they want someone to tell them exactly what to do they want to know exactly how many calories they need to eat for their body and they think that this random online calorie calculator is going to give them the answer when in fact like all calorie calculators work i'm just going to put that out there all calorie calculators work because they are all good starting points. They are they don't all work because they are all somehow magically able to predict how many calories you're able to eat, but they all work because they are all good starting points for you to start off at. And eventually, like I will say, 9.9 .9 times out of 10, you are going to have to adjust those numbers. They're probably not going to like work perfectly for you. Like they might undershoot your calories, they might overshoot your calories, but you might be able to see a little bit of progress with these this number but you're not going to be able to see a good amount of progress forever with this number so that's that's why i recommend like just use any calorie calculator and get started because with the event of um the internet we have so many online calorie calculators now that no one knows which ones to trust and so and this is something i see way too often than not people have all of these calorie 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 calculator numbers lined up in front of them 
and then they get um, um, what's the what's the phrase paralysis by overanalysis, and then they actually don't start because they're like, well, um, this person said this number, this person said that number, and then they really like when you break it down, the differentiation is like one to three or a few hundred calories. So like people are like, oh, I don't know what you're gonna do. So like I don't even want to get started because I have so many choices to do, and like I don't even know what to do. Um, like what if I follow this one and it doesn't work? What if I follow this one and it doesn't work? So best thing I can say to you is just start and just pick one to get started with and do that because you're going to learn so much more about your body. You're going to learn so much more about how many calories you actually need to see progress than using some guesstimator online. So yeah, but if you want a surefire way, if you want to skip all of the BS and not use any single calorie calculator, um, here's what I want you to do. And like, and th this also goes with mine. Like, don't use mine. Like, use this method, and it will. I will guarantee you, it will be a hundred percent, like, on point with how many calories you need to eat. And obviously, this goes without being said that, like, you know, make sure that you're tracking correctly as well. Make sure you learn the process of tracking, and you're not making common mistakes. In fact, I do have a previous episode on like, you know, common tracking mistakes that you need to avoid. Um, so yeah, go ahead and check that out, just to ensure that you're tracking everything properly. But yeah, that should go without being said. You know. Make sure you're tracking everything pro uh, everything properly and make sure you are actually tracking everything. You're not having these licks, tastes, bites, and all that. And then you're being like, well, why am I not losing weight? Because you ate like 500 calories worth of like chicken nuggets from your kid's plate. Like, yeah, like obviously you're not in calorie deficit if you do that. So make sure you're tracking everything accurately. And then also just track everything for like the next two to three weeks. Track every single thing you're eating. Make sure you're tracking accurately. And then along with that, measure your weight, measure, take your uh, body measurements, take progress pictures, and then see what your body is doing for those two to three weeks. So, and by doing this, what we learn is that, okay, now you have an average calories that you're eating per week. Now you're also having an average like uh, amount of whether that's weight loss, weight maintenance, weight gain, uh, whether that's you're seeing like changes in your visual appearance, you're you get you get to see how many calories are you intaking on a weekly basis on a weekly average you're also seeing what is your body doing as a result of these calories so by doing so by combining these two things you now know that okay this weekly calorie average that i am currently eating is it causing me to be in a deficit is it causing me to be at maintenance is it causing me to be in a surplus so now that you know this information after these 2 to 3 weeks of tracking now you know what do i need to do to you know, push my body in whatever direction I want to. So if you are in a deficit, but you're like, okay, that was kind of a little bit slow. I feel like I can like, you know, increase my deficit a little bit and see a little bit more progress. Then you can now change that number. If your body is at maintenance and you're like, well, I want to lose. So you can take a little bit calories away. And then now you know, now you know that you're going to be in a deficit and you're going to see progress. If you're at maintenance, and you're like, well, I want to gain weight. So now you can be like, okay, well, I can, where can I increase portion sizes? Where can I increase the amount of calories so that I do put myself in a surplus and I do uh, gain? And let's say your calories are, and you end up in a surplus. So with that, you're like, okay, do I want to stay in the surplus? Do I want to move down to maintenance? Do I want to move down even further and into a deficit? And then with these, with this knowledge, you can now determine like, where do I need to add? Where do I need to take away? Or can I just keep everything the same in order to get the results that I want? And that's pretty much it. That is the 100% surefire way. Um, it is going to take a little bit of guesswork. and But it is a 100% guaranteed way to find out exactly how many calories you need. None of this like BS like, oh, but like multiply this for like my, my activity multiplier and whatever. And like, like honestly, like no one knows. Like, <laughs> yeah. And even then, people like there are people who are like super high activity, or there's people who are super low activity who just naturally have a faster or slower metabolism. So that's something that these calorie calculators can't account for. So that's the surefire way to know exactly how many calories you need to eat. But yeah, that's about it. Wow, this was a long one. Um, but yeah, that about covers it for the Q and A for today. Thank you so much for the questions. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this week's episode. That's about it. 
And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, I believe Spotify now has a rating system. So, uh, but yeah, regardless, whatever platform you are listening on, if it does have a rating and review system, be sure to leave a five-star review. I do really appreciate those. If you can leave a written review as well, that also helps me uh, know that an actual person is, li- is listening to this and leaves and is leaving a review and helps me know what type of content that you do like to enjoy. Uh, but yeah, that about covers everything I wanted to cover. Oh yeah, also I will be on a trip for the next couple of weeks, so there will be no more episodes for the couple of weeks. I will be back, I believe, on the 3rd or the 4th of May. So yeah, I'll be back, back on the content train, so you'll get another episode that next week. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. Thanks again so much for listening and for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next one. Peace.